church Bibles and in Ephesians 6 of hopefully any Bible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism within him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chloe, very much. Uh, good evening, everybody. Particular word of welcome to anyone here for the first time. My name is Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here, and you are extremely welcome among us. Uh, I dare say I'm going to be interrupted by the fireworks a little bit. It is that Sunday evening in the year. Uh, as we were praying before the service, someone thought, we easily get distracted by all the noises around us. Let's pray that God will speak to us. That happens every day. It's not fireworks every day, mercifully, though it does feel that way often between here and New Year, that it sort of never stops. But it's easy to be distracted, and it's a good prayer to pray, Lord, speak to me. So every time the fireworks bang and you're distracted, would you just pray, Lord, help, help me to hear what you are saying to me tonight, and let's pray that together. Lord, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. You haven't left us to guess what you are like or how we can live in a way that pleases you. Send your spirit now, we pray. Take what I've prepared and breathe your life into it. Take your word that stands as your word for all time and speak it to us afresh today. And for each one of us, we pray that we would hear what you want to say to us and give us grace to go where you lead. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing our look through the book of Ephesians, St. Paul's uh, letter to the church in Ephesus. And we've reached the bit about children and parents or slaves and masters. We could say bosses and workers in today's climate. Uh, I know a whole lot of you are students and I dug out in my notes an old letter from a student to their parents just as a sort of thinking ourselves into this honouring your parents, however old you may or may not be. Uh, here is a letter from a student to their mum and dad uh, rather a long way into the academic year. Dear mum and dad, since I left for college, I've been remiss in writing, and I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I'll bring you up to date, but before you read on, please sit down. Don't read on unless you are sitting down. I'm getting along pretty well now, despite the skull fracture and concussion that I got when I jumped out of my dormitory window when it caught fire shortly after my arrival. It's pretty well healed. I only get those sick headaches a couple of times a day now. Fortunately, an attendant at the petrol station witnessed the fire in my dorm and the jump. He ran over, took me to hospital and continued to visit me there. When I got out of the hospital, I had nowhere to live because of the burnt-out conditions of my room. So he was kind enough to invite me to share his basement bedroom flat with him. It's sort of small, but cute. He's a great guy and we've fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. 
Yes, mum and dad, I'm pregnant. I know how much you're looking forward to being grandparents and I know you'll welcome the baby and give it the same tender care and devotion that you gave me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend has an infection which I carelessly caught from him. I know, however, that you'll welcome him into our family with open arms. He's kind and although not well-educated, he is ambitious. Although he's of a different race and religion than ours, I know that your often expressed tolerance will not permit you to be bothered by that. In conclusion, now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I do not have an infection, and there is no boyfriend in my life. However, I have failed my exams, and I wanted you to see these results in their proper perspective. Well, now, I don't know how you go about honouring your parents. There are various ways to do it. But here is, I don't know whether that's what St Paul had in mind either. Uh, this evening is, some sermons have a sort of a, well, the intention is a razor-like sharp focus. I doubt it often feels exactly like that. Some of them are more like grape shot, where you scatter stuff around and just pray for the right thing to find the right target. We're thinking about parents, we're thinking about children, we're thinking about bosses, we're thinking about workers, we're thinking about submitting to one another within the body of Christ. So just be praying that the bit that you need to hear the most will really uh, lodge within you. Uh, this passage doesn't come just sort of out of nowhere, floating around. It comes towards the end of the letter of St. Paul to the church in Ephesus. So I want to set sort of three contexts, or two contexts for it, and then really a, a verse focusing our thoughts tonight. Uh, the first context is the theme of the whole letter. We've seen the whole way through this letter that St. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He is concerned for church unity because God loves it when his people live together. So we saw it, just a quick overview. There were only one more week after night at Ephesians, so you may miss this overview, so make the most of it while it comes. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Uh, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is God's big plan. When Jesus comes again, everything will be united, we'll be with him for all eternity in glory. And God loves things being together, not divided. We read in chapter 2 of Ephesians that Jesus came to break down the barriers that separate people. Verse 14, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. God's plan is to break down the barriers that separate us from him and from each other. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. We read in chapter 3, verse 6, uh, that God has revealed the mystery of the gospel, that the Gentiles are heirs together with the Jews, with Israel, members together of one body. There's a unity. Uh, the church is Jew and Gentile together without those barriers that there were before. Uh, we saw in chapter 4, verse 3, that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As chapter 4, verse 13, we work towards a unity in the faith. So this theme of unity runs the whole way through the letter. It's God's big plan for the whole of heaven and earth. It's his plan for us, his people, and we are to work at it. And at the end of the letter, we get to the nitty-gritty bit. Uh, three weeks ago, before we had a break for half-term and a, a light focus and a Bible focus, we were thinking about husbands and wives. 
Tonight it's parents and children and the workplace. But in all of these places, God longs for his people to be united and to demonstrate a unity to the world around us. That when people come into church, they should experience something more united than is normally experienced in the world around us. It should be something that points to God. That's the big context. Then the immediate context of this part of Ephesians is an outworking of chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. So we're just sort of zooming in. That was the big picture. We'll zoom in a little bit more. St. Paul tells us not to be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, we are to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's to be filled and to go on being filled day after day after day. Uh, with God's Holy Spirit. And then there are four descriptions of what that will look like, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. There's no punctuation in Paul's Greek, so speaking, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, thanking God the Father always, and verse 21, submitting to one another. These aren't new sentences for Paul. Uh, we, we have to break it all up a bit because we can't cope with more than a few words at a time. For Paul, it just tumbles out. We're to be filled with the Spirit, speaking, singing, thanking, and submitting to one another. And this submitting to one another is all of us to each other, and then Paul focus in on marriage, husbands and wives. We looked at that three weeks ago. Today, parents and children, bosses and workers, if you like, slaves and masters. Uh, that's not an exhaustive list, but if you can live out submission to one another in those contexts, you can pretty much do it anywhere. Uh, so that's the zooming in picture. This is all about what it looks like to submit to one another. And the particular reason this matters is not just that God is concerned for unity, but that everybody matters to God. Uh, verse 9, the last verse of our passage, uh, which is written after the masters and slaves bit. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours, that's God, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. When God looks around St. Paul's tonight, he has no favorites. He loves you as much as he loves me, as much as he loves the person next to you. No one is more important. The husband is not more important than the wife. The wife is not more important than the husband. The parent is not more important than the child. The child is not more important than the parent. The boss is not more important than the worker. The worker is not more important than the boss. There are no favorites. Before God, we all stand equal. We are equally made in his image. That image is spoilt in all of us because we've all turned to our own way, as we confessed earlier. That image is what none of us gets everything right. We all stand equally in need of God's forgiveness. Now, if you start comparing yourself to each other, you might think, well, I don't need forgiveness as much as them, and I need it a whole lot more than them. But from God's perspective, we all need forgiveness. It's uh, like the highest point on earth is Mount Everest, and the lowest point you can actually stand is the Dead Sea. But from the point of view of the sun, they're both about 93 million miles away, give or take a few feet. It, it, there's not a lot in it, really. From God's perspective, we all fall short. And we are all in the same boat. We're equally made in his image. We're equally in need of forgiveness. And when we bow to the knee to Jesus as Lord, we are equally forgiven, equally adopted as his sons and daughters, equally filled with his spirit. Uh, the only difference is how open we are to the filling of more of God's Spirit. He'd love to fill us all as much as we can be. 
but if you only open yourself a little bit, you only get a little bit. If you open yourself wide, God will fill you fully. So these three contexts, do you get this? Unity matters, and God wants his church to live out a whole new way of living together. Old and young, rich and poor, black and white, male and female, parents and child, bosses and slaves, everyone, a unity. In order to do that, we need to submit to one another. And if we're going to do that, we need to understand that everybody matters to God uh, as much as we do. Everybody. So now then a word to each of these four groups. Uh, This is a sort of part two of a sermon from three weeks ago. We did husbands and wives three weeks ago. Parents, children, masters, slaves, bosses and workers, if you like. So children, first of all. Uh, Now, all of us, I guess, have had parents. (laughs) We may have, have, not quite sure how we got here otherwise. We may have known them, we may not have known them. Many of us will still have parents alive, some won't. Many will have children. Uh, Many more of you will have children. uh, But children, let's let's put these verses up again. If we could put the beginning verses, chapter 6, verse 1 and co up again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. If you don't naturally feel like obeying or honoring your parents, at least here's a good reason. It's... uh, It's in the commandments, it's in the top 10, and uh, we are told that actually honouring our parents provides health for our life. Now, the dividing line between obeying and when you go to honouring is somewhere around the time where you become adults in your own right, which in every society is slightly different. Children are told to obey, slaves are told to obey. Uh, In the passage we looked at three weeks ago, wives are not told to obey. That's stronger than the Bible uses. Wives are to submit as husbands are, both ways. So for children, where you're under your parents' authority, we obey our parents in that context. uh, Unless they tell you to do something which categorically goes against God's rule. Uh, So you teenagers, if your parents tell you to lie through your teeth then there's a real dilemma because you're to obey parents, but we're, to, we're, we're not to lie. So we have to work that, Lord, how do I handle this one? Uh, but nine times out of 10, maybe 95 out of 100, if your parents are telling you to do something, it will be for your good. Uh, you may not agree with them. <laughs> that's, that's the privilege of being a teenager. Uh, but it's their obey. Uh, Adam was talking this morning. Obey is an outward thing. You do what they say. You don't have to feel like it. Uh, I remember the story of the parent who was telling his child to sit down. Will you sit down? Will you sit down? Eventually the child sat down. He said, but I'm still standing up inside. (laughs) Honouring is about the attitude that even when you're past the age where it's right to obey parents, that you honour them. Uh, I heard a helpful talk from J. John in his Just Ten series on the Ten Commandments. Well, what does that look like? How do we honour our parents? Well, we honour our parents by accepting them as they are. They're not perfect. We know that. Uh, But we accept them and try and love them. Uh, We honour them by appreciating them. It's really good to say thank you. The vast majority of parents are doing the best job they can for their children. Say thank you when you can. We honour parents by affirming them 
I think this always takes parents by a bit surprised when children say to them, however old the child is, when you did that, that was really good. Try that to your parents. Catch them do something right and tell them it's good. And when they pick themselves up off the floor in amazement. Uh, but we honour them by this sort of thing. We accept them, we affirm them, we appreciate them. And we honour them when they're old by not abandoning them entirely. It is said, be nice to your children, they choose your nursing home. <laughs> but don't abandon them. Some in our society do. We're to honour our parents. Uh, what that looks like for you at your stage of life, depending on how old your parents are, you will need to work through. And there's far more uh, in this sermon than I can go into than how we honour parents. But it is a commandment. Remember that commandment. Honour your parents, uh, put up verse 2 and 3 again, that it may go well with you. Actually, it's good for your parents if you honour them, it's good for you. And if you're finding that hard, then get people to pray with you. How do I honour my parents in this context? Uh, my mum sometimes listens to my sermons. So mum, if you're listening, I am sorry that I haven't always honoured you. <laughs> I, need, uh, I do love you and I do appreciate you. Uh, I know you haven't got everything right, uh, and I know I haven't. Uh, it's my intention to honour you. It's difficult as a preacher when your mum sometimes listens to your sermons. <laughs> we, we have to do this mutual confession. Honour your parents, appreciate them, affirm them as much as you can. Uh, do you know Mark Twain, what he said? Mark Twain said, when I was 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly bear him. By the time I was 21, I was amazed to see how much the old man had learnt in seven years. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you tell me, hang on in there, don't judge too soon. Uh, children, honour parents and pray for how we do this. Parents, we have a role for our children. Now, you could translate the word fathers here uh, from verse 4, or it could be parents. Certainly 2,000 years ago, the, the dad had far more rule than the mum in a sense but it is parents, not just fathers. Fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, that same J. John talk I referred to earlier, I had this nice quote, insanity is hereditary. You catch it from your children. <laughs> if you're a parent, you'll appreciate that. Uh, he said this as well, you know your children are growing up when they stop asking you where they came from and they start refusing to tell you where they're going. Parents, children, being a parent of children is difficult. It's difficult. We are not to exasperate them. I asked my son Josh uh, yesterday, who's 18, what I do that exasperates him. We were about to sit down uh, and uh, watch the rugby. He said, well, commentating in the rugby matches anyway. There's two commentators on telly and they're better than you, so shut up. Was what he said. Uh, I didn't manage it, and I think he was exasperated. I asked a couple of teenagers this morning whose parents were here, What does your dad do that exasperates you? Bad jokes, they said. Uh, if Joshua had had time to go on longer, he might have said, I mean, he's left school now, but embarrassing me at parents' evenings. I used to love parents' evenings, they were tremendous fun. Uh, you sit there with your child while they're squirming and you'd be all sweetness and light to the teachers but you can say things that are really awkward. Uh, it was great fun. That exasperated them. I had a more serious conversation with uh, our children. We've got five children uh, quite a long time ago, about 10 years ago, and said, seriously, what is it that has most exasperated you? I think it was last time I was preaching on this. 
And when they got over all the initial stuff, the bad jokes and the commentating and the parents' evenings and all that stuff, they said, it's unfairness. That's what really exasperates us. When we feel you're not treating us fairly or you're treating someone else uh, more kindly than you treated us. Now, this is really difficult. We ha I remember we had a really interesting conversation. Uh, gosh, it must be nearly 20 years ago now. So before Joshua was alive, we had one of about eight and two of six and one of four. And we were coming up to Christmas and they said, Mum and Dad, we want you to treat us all the same at Christmas. We want it to be fair. And I said, so um, does that mean you all want to get the same present then? And they went, yeah, that would be fair. And we had one daughter and three boys at the time. So I said, so if everybody got one Barbie, how would that be? And uh, Rachel went, yes. And the boys said, no. I said, oh, so you want us to treat you differently, do you? But it's, we, to treat children fairly actually means often treating them differently because to do exactly the same thing won't honour the different children. This is a tough one and we need the wisdom of the Lord. I think we get it wrong when we're over harsh or when we're overindulgent. To be overindulgent, and I think there's a danger in today's society of letting children get away with far too much and there not being enough instruction. That doesn't do them good either, to balance this. Parents, how do you bring up your children? This is with discipline, this verse says, in training and instruction of the Lord. We found, I mean, obviously there's a bit of carrot and stick, as it were, there's, there has to be discipline and things appropriate punishment if things are wrong there has to be reward for things that are right but for each child how you do that is different we had uh, most of our children when they were little a smack on the hand actually was quite a, a loving kind way to deal with something if they know something was wrong it's dealt with and it's gone uh, but that's not really a way that works well beyond tiny tiny tinies uh, what we found was that for one of ours Hitting them where it hurt was hitting them in the pocket money. I would say to one of ours, I'm counted to ten, and with each one, well, at the time when they got a pound a week, with each number I get to, you lose 10p of your pocket money. If I get to ten, there's none. I only had to go one, usually, and that was it. For other children, that didn't work at all. Uh, for Rachel, my daughter, it was threatening to remove Top of the Pops. That was the end of her world. If, if I raised my voice and threatened to remove Top of the Pops, that would do it. For the boys, they wouldn't have cared. It wouldn't make any difference. Uh, for some, it's being sent to their bedroom on their own. Uh, I think Timmy quite likes it when I tell this story. He's now grown up and married. But when he was six, he was a pretty cooperative little fellow, but he could be stubborn from time to time. And there was a time... Round about tea time, when he was being impossible, I said, Timothy, go to your room. And he just quietly went upstairs to his room, which I wasn't expecting. Had it been the older children, they would have argued with me or come and hit me or something. He just went quietly up through. And a little later, I thought, I'd better go and see how Timmy is. And I went up to his bed and found him asleep in his bed, and I felt terrible. I thought, oh, he's gone to sleep. And the last thing I did was send him to his room, and I prayed blessing over him and sweet dreams. Came down, felt terrible. Juliet and I got to bed eventually later that evening. We got into bed and found he'd cut holes in our duvet. <laughs> he'd, just, he'd just gone straight upstairs, cut holes in our duvet, taken himself off to bed and fallen asleep very happy. <laughs> and, he's still, and he's still rather proud of it now. Now, everybody has different ways of it. There are, uh, I think that probably didn't come under the category of honouring his parents, <laughs> probably. 
Parents, to bring up your children in training, there has to be an appropriate discipline, and it's difficult. And when you get it wrong, we need to say sorry. Uh, for me and my eldest, for Thomas, we were quite similar in lots of respects. Most nights I had to say to him, when you did that, that was wrong, wasn't it? And he'd say, yes, Dad. I'd say, what do you say? He'd say, I'm sorry. Please, will you forgive me? I said, yes, I forgive you. And then I said, and when I reacted by doing that, that was wrong, wasn't it? He went, yes, Dad. I said, please, will you forgive me? And he said, yes, I will. Most nights we had to go through that little liturgy of forgiveness. It's not easy. Parents, bring up your children with training and instructing them in the Lord. Do not leave it to our children's department here. They will help, but they can't do it for you. Do not leave it to the church school. They will help, but they can't do it for you. Your main job if you become a parent is to bring up your children to follow the Lord Jesus. When I get to heaven, after the Lord asks me about my relationship with him and whether I've loved Juliet, the next thing I'm sure will be giving an account for the five children he gave me. He may or may not ask me about St. Paul's, I don't know. That's fine. But I'm sure he'll want to know and we'll have a bit of a conversation about how I parented the five children he gave to me. For Thomas, who was a bookie person, it was giving him books with Bible stories. He loved that. For Rachel, who was a musician, she was giving her songs with Bible verses and songs. She'd, she wanted to go to sleep listening to songs, so we'd give her Bible verse songs. Ishmael and the Donut Man, if you remember those, and the, whoever the modern equivalents are. Different ways of getting the truths into them. Parents, that is your job. And when you do that, the church helps. What happens, at what, our Sunday, what we do on our Sunday mornings is utterly amazing. If you work with our children and young people, I honour you. I think you're brilliant. Uh, we could use some more help in there, and it, it's a wonderful way to serve and to grow. But parents, the church can't do it for you. This is your prime responsibility. Uh, I found the books by Rob Parsons very helpful. I don't know if these are still in print. Rob Parsons wrote books for mothers, for fathers, for parents, for marriages. This is called The 60-Minute Father. The idea was you could read it in an hour, and it's got a one-minute page for people who can't spend an hour reading, and it's got a one-second page for people who wouldn't even do that. Uh, but I enjoyed this page. When children live with tolerance and fair treatment, they learn to be patient and fair with others. When children learn with live with encouragement, they learn to be confident and secure. When children live with praise and compliments, they learn appreciation. When children live with fairness, they learn the meaning of justice. When children live with security, they learn to have faith. When children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. When children live with unconditional acceptance, they learn to find love in God and the world. Children will learn what they live that's why on this Adoption Sunday, we are so praying for those children who've had terrible starts, who need healing and a home that provides love for them. And I'm thrilled that in our church family, a number of people have felt called by God to take children into their homes as adopted or fostered. Every family needs help. Uh, some of those who are loving those who've had the most difficult starts in life need more help. And if you're not sure what to do in the life of the church, come and offer some time or energy uh, at different ways to help families that are not finding it easy. 
So that's children and parents. More briefly, this isn't meant to be a sermon only on parenting, and this certainly isn't a sermon on work. But I just want to look at this slaves and masters bit as well. How do we submit to each other in the workplace? Submitting to each other in marriage, submitting to each other in the home is not easy. How do we submit to each other in the workplace? Now, it's written to slaves and masters. But in the Roman world 2,000 years ago, a whole lot of jobs we would just describe as jobs now were sort of household slaves, servants, many of whom were treated with a certain amount of dignity. There was obviously the sort of slavery which is awful and oppressive uh, as there is today, and that's terrible. Uh, but lots of domestic servants, teachers, medics, administrators came under the category of servants or slaves. So we can take this uh, boss, work bosses, masters and slaves to be sort of bosses and employees, if you like. Uh, in the world of work with what we have to do. Uh, Paul insists, if we put up verse 9 again as we looked at this, that everybody has equal value. That was radical. And for the Christians in a church in Ephesus, there would have been some who were servants, there would have been a few who were masters. And they learned how to submit to each other. Uh, you get the letter to Philemon who his slave Onesimus has come to faith and Philemon the boss has come to faith and Paul is writing them about how their relationship should work out. The New Testament is not in favour of slavery. Don't be under any illusions about that. There's an ethic set up here that would undermine slavery. It's a tragedy it took 1,800 years in the West for us to get to that point of abolishing it. There's nothing here which condones slavery. This is talking about the situations you find yourself in how do you honour God? How do you submit to one another? Uh, so let's read again verses 5 to 8, what it says to slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Think about your workplace. Do your job for Jesus, is what he's saying. Don't do it for your boss. Don't just work hard when your boss is looking and then slack off a bit when he's not looking. You do it for Jesus. This transforms everything. If you're a cook, you cook your meals for Jesus. If you're a mechanic, you mend the car for Jesus. If you're serving customers, you do it as if you were serving Jesus. If you're a teacher... You do it either as if you're teaching a young Jesus or if you're looking after children for Jesus. If you're auditing accounts or sweeping the road, whatever, you do it for him. And I have to say, students, this counts for your studies as well. Uh, I remember as a student seeing a, a cartoon strip of a student sitting in the library with the day, daydreaming bubbles saying, Lord, I love you, bubble one. Bubble number two. I'll do anything for you. Not bubble number two. Bubble number three. I'll go anywhere in the world and do whatever you want. And then bubble number four, back to his books. While well, studying wasn't exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> God has called you, students, to university to study. Use your brains for him. It's not the only thing you do there, but you do it for him. You write that essay for him. You spend that time in the lab for him. You develop your brain for him. 
not just for a tutor. We uh, spent a number of weeks, a couple of years ago, looking at Mark Green's book, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, that looks at different ways you can engage in the world of work for Jesus what we do as well as what we say, how we affect the culture around us. If you've never read that book, I commend it to you, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And there are some sermons on the website. If you go back a year or two, you'll find. We're to do our work for Jesus. Bosses, masters, verse 9, treat your slaves, your employees, in the same way. Don't threaten them. You know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There's no favoritism with him. God is their God. And we answer to God. If we're responsible for other people, we answer to God for how we treat them. Now, there are times when you have to insist on things and there are times when you have to make difficult decisions. But you do it with the sense of the Lord's eye on you. And if you can't make that decision, as it were, looking God in the face and saying, I think that's the best way to do this, then you've probably got it wrong and need to think again. I remember soon after I was ordained as a curate up in Chesterfield, the tremendous privilege of giving out communion as the church gathers around. It's not obviously not just those who are ordained who do this. I remember being visibly shaken and struck as I saw a hospital consultant next door to a woman I knew who was a cleaner on the ward in the hospital. On one of the I didn't even know if they knew each other, but I knew them both. There they were, side by side, equal before God, hands out together. The way the world views distinctions, it's very different with God, and we're to look with different attitudes. So you get the idea. We're to submit to one another. What, how we do that is different in each context. Husbands and wives, parents, children, bosses, employees but we look at the dignity of the person, we look to serve Jesus. Now, this is hard. If you can live this out in your marriage, in your parenting, or your having parents, and in your work, you can live it out anywhere. But it is hard. That's why Paul has already said we have to deal with our anger, Ephesians 4, verse 26. In your anger, don't sin, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I said I used to have that liturgy with Thomas every night. <laughs> I'm sorry I got that wrong, please forgive me. And we deal with it before bedtime. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. On the staff at the church, we need to be kind and compassionate to each other. In our families, in our workplaces, we don't get everything right. Very powerful to say, I'm sorry I got that wrong, please will you forgive me. This is hard, and that's why St. Paul has already said, chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. You cannot do it in your own strength. It's too hard. If marriage was easy, there wouldn't be so many divorces. If parenting was easy, or growing up being a teenager was easy, there wouldn't be so much strain between parents and children. If it was easy to get along in the workplace with no problems, there wouldn't be so much industrial tribunal stuff. This is hard. So we need to be filled with God's spirit and we need to do forgiveness. And our ultimate attitude in all these things, uh, as Paul said to the slaves in chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, is we do this for the Lord primarily. And if you start doing your work for the Lord... If you start doing your parenting for the Lord, if you start serving for the Lord, 
rather than just for everybody else. It will transform your attitude. Brother Lawrence uh, was a famous, well, he, he wasn't famous at the time. He, was, he worked in the kitchen of a monastery a few hundred years ago. He's become one of the most famous Christians of all time. His book, Practicing the Presence of God, actually it wasn't his book, it was put together with some of his sayings and letters. He famously found he could love the Lord as much amid the, the noise of the, of the kitchen as when he was in the chapel contemplating the bread and wine and Jesus' sacrifice for him. He learned whatever he did to do it to the Lord. And his words and writings have become more read than almost any other book uh, in Christian history. We do it for the Lord. And that will enable the difficult thing at home, at work, uh, to be more manageable. I think I've gone on long enough. Shall we stand and pray? And let's have the band come back to lead us in song in a moment. We'll just take a minute or so quietly to acknowledge before the Lord whatever this has stirred up in us, and all of us will have some things here. For prayer ministry tonight, there are two, two ways that can happen. One is during communion, either before you receive the bread and wine or after some of our prayer team will be by the spiral steps at the back. That's the back on your right, my left. They'll be at the back there. You can go and just have a short prayer. Just If you want someone to pray for you, just say, it's about this. It's about my work. It's about my parenting. It's about my parents. Uh, if you like, equally, you can come after the service and have prayer ministry as well. But let's just be still. Lord, in this moment of stillness, we pray, send your spirit on us afresh. You know everything about us, our homes, our marriages, our parents, our children, our workplaces, the things this has stirred up in us for how we submit to one another in church. We lay all that before you and pray, come and minister to us by your spirit even now. Let's just be still.